You know, over the past seven weeks, we've been in a series entitled Eight. And we've looked at a portion of the very first sermon Jesus ever preached. You know, it's been many years ago, I remember preaching my first sermon. And it was a stinker. <laughs> now, please don't come up to me after this and say, you know, they're still stinkers. <laughs> but Jesus preached this sermon, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And most uh, think it was the best sermon he ever preached. It covers three uh, chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he was sitting down. You know, that's why Damon comes up here and sits once in a while. Because it's scriptural. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was sitting on a small hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And the sermon begins what with, with what are known as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are attitudes. I want you to say that with me. The Beatitudes are attitudes. They are attitudes that Jesus was looking for in his followers 2,000 years ago. But newsflash, they're the same attitudes that Jesus is looking for in those of us who follow him today. Each of these Beatitudes begins with the word blessed. Jesus called those who lived out these Beatitudes blessed because God had something special in store for them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus was telling us that our lives will be blessed if we live out the Beatitudes. He was talking about a joy in our hearts which is unaffected by circumstances or the winds of change in life. He was promising us a more abundant life if we were just willing to live out the attitudes of the Beatitudes. And now... I'm bringing up the rear. (laughs) Number eight in our series eight. Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, this has been a hard topic for me because, you know, just a hard one to get a handle on. Because I've never known what I consider real persecution. I've been made fun of on occasion for my Christian witness. I used to work uh, construction, and and there were occasions that I was kind of mocked and and ridiculed for being a Christian. But that's about it. And you could say maybe I've been harassed, but never persecuted in the true sense of the word. So I want to know, And I've studied, did Jesus mean what he said? How can the persecuted be blessed? And this statement was so shocking to those that Jesus spoke it to that it repeats it two times, once in verse 10 and again in verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
See, I think it still has the ability today to shock us as we read it. You know, Jesus gives more emphasis to this beatitude than all the other seven before. He also personalizes it by using the word you in verse 11. Maybe you're saying, well, you know, I I don't really want to uh, hear about persecution. I don't want to hear about harassment. It's a nice Sunday morning, and I've got plans for the afternoon, and I really don't want to hear about this. You know, guess what? I'm with you. And I don't believe any of us want to face up to this beatitude. But Jesus said it would happen. He did not say if you're persecuted, but when. And make a note of that word. Circle it somewhere in your mind. When. See, as the world becomes more secular, and I've seen it in my lifetime, become more secular and hostile to Christianity, and if you're hostile to Christianity, you're going to be hostile to those who follow Christ. Recently, there have been a number of best-selling books. They had titles such as this, The God Delusion, God the Failed Hypothesis, and one that's very popular out there by a guy named Hitchens, God is Not Great. I'm going to throw in something free this morning. Do you know what we call April 1st? Anybody know? April Fool's Day. Do you know the Bible has a verse for April Fool's Day? Now, you can't use it this year, but next year you can use this verse. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So that's your trivia. There's a Bible verse for April 1st. Have you seen this uh, Newsweek cover magazine? April 13th of this year. The cross is made up of these words. The decline and fall of Christian America. And in reading that article, there are fewer and fewer people who make an allegiance to Jesus Christ. And friends, I think, I've seen it in my own lifetime, and some of you know what I'm talking about. It's getting worse out there. The pressure the, the persecution, the harassment of Christianity and those of us who call Christ our Lord. And the Bible says it's going to get worse. So maybe although we don't want to hear what's being said this morning about persecution and harassment, we need to take it in and just store it somewhere in our heart that we can rely on it later. Matthew 5.11. I've got a question for you. In looking at that verse, what is the reason for persecution? What is the reason for harassment? And in some very extreme cases, hatred. There are three words there at the end of the verse. For my sake. Jesus was saying, because you are my follower, you will be harassed. You'll be persecuted. And some of you may even be hated in this life. Let's get something straight, though. This verse does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are obnoxious. (laughs) Don't tell me you've seen an obnoxious Christian somewhere out there, huh? 
Not in here, though. I know that. Yeah. Or it doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are arrogant and judgmental in their attempts to tell others about Jesus. You know, the fact is, many people cry, I'm being persecuted. When in reality, they're just being jerks. And they're way over the top in dealing with people who don't know about Jesus. We can and do bring suffering upon ourselves simply because we act foolishly or at times we act self-righteously toward others. The Apostle Peter makes it clear that we can suffer for the wrong reasons. Here in 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16, he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a what? As a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So what is the right reason for being persecuted and harassed? To me, according to the scripture, the only right reason is because you're a Christian, a follower of Christ. In the Beatitudes we've looked at for the last seven weeks, if these seven Beatitudes are working in our lives, and we're asking the Lord to help us live out those Beatitudes, it's going to be evident that you are living for Jesus. And people are going to see your Christian witness. It'll show. Last year, my wife and I got to go to uh, Texas, and I wanted to go to the Alamo in San Antonio. And as you go into the Alamo, there's a picture on one of the walls, and it has this written on the bottom. James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, who greatly resembled his uncle. It's placed here, yeah, really, by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. Now, we know that there are no literal pictures of Jesus. We've all seen some artist rendition somewhere. Maybe you have one at home. But the only likeness of Jesus can only be seen in the lives of his true followers. If you wanted to see Jesus, and the world wants to see Jesus, they have to look at you or me and see him in us. We should settle this right now. There are some people in the world who do not like Jesus. And some of those people like to attack and harass, make fun of, mock, even hate those who follow Christ. See, 2,000 years ago, they were able to get to Jesus physically and literally. And they nailed him on a cross. They can't do that now. So they go after his followers. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The world persecutes and hates Christians for the same reason 
they persecuted and hated Christ. It's because Christians are different. You know, I'm not talking about those crazy, weird kind of different, like you see them portrayed on TV or, or in the movies. Years ago when my children were, were young, uh, I don't know if I should tell you this, but I watched that show called The Simpsons. Maybe it's a good thing we got that Star Trek thing coming next week. And I don't know how healthy that is uh, for, for young kids, but uh, they, they wanted to watch The Simpsons. Now, there was a character in The Simpsons, Simpsons that was portrayed as a Christian. You know who that was, which one that was? No Simpson? Yeah, Ned, Ned Flanders. And Ned was a little weird and a little different. And uh, I have a reminder of him every day because I have a cat named Ned. And he was named after Ned Flanders by my son, who, who was much older at the time. And my cat's a little weird and a little different, so I, I don't know. But, but that's not the different I'm talking about. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17, those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore. For the old life is gone. A new life has begun. At the time of salvation, and Jesus referred to that in John chapter 3 as being born again. So that's a, that's a biblical term if anybody throws it out and, and you don't know if, what that's about. Look it up in John chapter 3. But at the time of salvation, when you become born again, you ask Jesus Christ into your life, asking to forgive you of all your sins. The believer at that moment becomes a new creation in Christ. And they begin to live their life differently. Over a process of time, their thought life changes. They remove some things from their lives. And a transformation begins to take place. They live out and demonstrate a life of righteousness and Christ-likeness. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In reading through the New Testament, you've probably come across Paul's writing, and of course you have. And you know that Paul was very much acquainted with persecution. He knows a lot more about persecution and being hated for his faith than any of us in this room today. And I believe we should look, so to speak, to the expert, to Paul. Pay attention to what Paul told us about these things. He said if you live a certain life, and what kind of life is that? A godly life in Christ. He said if you're living that life, there's a good chance, there's a good possibility that you will be persecuted in some fashion. Well, you know, perhaps something is registering about now with some of you here. And you're saying to yourself, you know, that, that guy up there, I, I don't need this today. Because nobody ever hassles me. Nobody ever persecutes me. I, I've never known any form of, of hatred because I'm a Christian. Years ago, I read a short story that had this plot line. 
Suppose you were arrested for being a Christian. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? You know, if you don't get anything else out of this today, I hope that somewhere down the line this week, the Holy Spirit will will remind you of that little plot line right there. Would you need to get an attorney to defend the charges against you? Or would they just throw out the case for lack of evidence? Because personally, I thought long and hard about that in my own life. We need to think about it. Do you suppose that if we don't ever get hassled, if no one ever makes fun of us, no one ever mocks us in any way because we claim to be a Christian, there's a problem with the way we are living our lives before the world? And I want to repeat that. You know, If we're not getting hassled in any way, if no one's ever made fun of us, if no one's ever uh, used us as a butt of some joke because we're a Christian, maybe there's a problem with the way we're living our lives before the world. There was a rather pompous Sunday school teacher He taught fifth grade boys. Maybe you had him for your teacher, some of you. And he was trying to uh, make a point to the class, the importance of living the Christian life. And he said, why do people call me a Christian? That's what he asked the boys. And after a short moment's pause, one of the boys said, well, you know, maybe it's because they don't know you. Ouch! (laughs) I think he lost the class about that time. You know, let's assume we're not like the Sunday school teacher and we're one of the followers of Christ that is being harassed, being persecuted in some fashion because we're a Christian. How should we handle it? What should we do? I want us to look at four things today. Number one, investigate the source. Paul says we're not fighting against human beings, but against wicked spiritual forces. You know, I hope this doesn't come as a surprise to anyone in here, but the devil is the enemy of God. And the devil has a problem in that he can't get to God. He can't get to God to to bring any kind of hurt to God's life or to God's being. So the next best thing is the devil tries to get to those that God loves and those that love God. You know yourself, you'd rather take a beating than somebody else to beat your kid. So the person who's harassing you, making fun of you, putting you down, is not the real source of the problem. Paul says right here, we're not fighting against human beings against people, we're fighting against something else. You see, the devil is using that person or those people, and it's going to benefit us if we investigate the source and know the source. Number two, we're to refuse to retaliate. 
If someone does evil to you, don't pay him back with evil. Never take revenge. Let God's wrath do it. That person who's harassing you is just a pawn. Just as you've seen the chessboard, if you play chess, there are the pawns out front. They're, they're kind of on the front line. Well, in the Latin, that word pawn means foot soldier. And the people who are doing the persecuting in this world to Christians are the foot soldiers of the enemy. And maybe some of them are, are somewhat innocent. They do not realize that they're being used by the devil to bring harm and hurt to followers of Christ. And Paul is telling us we should refuse to retaliate no matter how good we may think it will make us feel. You know, I'm ashamed to have to tell you this, but there have been many times in my life that I've retaliated against people. I'm one of these bright lights, and so I've got to fess up. Retaliation seemed to me the best thing I could do. And I thought by retaliating, it was going to make me feel better to get some type of revenge. But I learned a painful lesson through this retaliation of mine. And the lesson is this. The moment you retaliate, you give control to someone else. And one of the great principles of life is that if we can control our reactions, yes, we know that. We can't control the actions of people who are going to persecute us, make fun of us, mock us, put us down, verbally or physically. We can't control them. But we can control how we choose to react. Paul's saying we should refuse to retaliate. Not only should we investigate the source and refuse to retaliate, we're to eliminate a negative response. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I don't want you to answer this out loud, but in the quietness of your heart, is that how you react when you've been ridiculed or made fun of because you're a Christian? When you're harassed or persecuted, do you try to overcome evil with a bigger dose of evil, bigger helping? Paul says there's only one appropriate response to evil, a positive response, not a negative one. You see, evil deeds and actions can only be overcome with good deeds and actions. Here's another verse that Jesus told us that runs so contrary to the way that many of us as Christians operate. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, when I was looking at this verse recently, a thought came to me. And I don't know that it's profound at all. But here's the thought. Many people may not read the Bible because they're afraid to face what they'll find there. And to me, this verse is a perfect example of that thought. 
You see, when I read that verse, and when you read that verse, I believe we've now become responsible for it. You know, is loving our enemies easy? No way. No way. Maybe one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do in your life. It's not easy to love those people. Is it radical? Yes, it's radical. Very radical. Does God want you to go beyond the model of the world? Does he want you to go beyond your human nature and love your enemies? Yes, he does. When people persecute you, when they hassle us, when they hate us because we're Christians, not over the top, not obnoxious, not self-righteous, but we're just living a godly Christian life before the world, and they still despise us, they still want to put us down, they still want to make fun of us. Does God want us to treat them better than they treated us? I believe he does, because the Bible just tells us he does. We're to pray for them and pray that, that God's will be done for their lives. It's not easy, friends. I've already admitted to you that I, I've failed many a time. It's not easy. And it may seem impossible, but it is possible because there's another verse in the Bible that tells me that nothing is impossible with God. And I actually believe that it's true. Finally, we're to celebrate over it. Jesus said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly, what? Glad. Now Jesus isn't some kind of strange, upside down thinking here. He said, I'm not talking about being glad for the persecution in and of itself. But we're to get excited and be glad about the fact that when we're hassled and persecuted, it represents something. And there's some reasons why we should celebrate when persecuted. One is that persecution confirms our relationship. Again, persecution confirms our relationship. Someone has said persecution is a certificate of Christian authenticity. You see, we should be glad and celebrate when people see Jesus in our life. Maybe they see him in you young people when you're at school. And I believe it's harder to live for Jesus today in high school and junior high than ever before. And parents, you, just, you want to be in this series every Sunday, Star Trek, because you need God's help in this whole aspect of being a parent. Do they see Jesus in your life when you're on the job? As I told you, there were a few occasions where they saw him in me and they didn't like what they saw. Maybe it's on the ball field when when the guys play, our team plays softball. Or when you're out at the mall or wherever you're at. I just want to throw something in right here. At the first of the year, 
my wife and I decided that what we wanted to do when we went out to eat is tell the server at the end of the meal, say, in our prayer time tonight, we'd like to pray for you. And please hear me. I'm not, say, I'm not telling you this for any kind of recognition from you. And so we went to a restaurant in South County because I live down south. It was sometime in January, and we, we went and we told her, and, and she kind of bared her heart to us. And we didn't pray then. We didn't pray then. We didn't act weird. We didn't throw a track at her. We didn't throw our Bible down the table. But we went home and we prayed for her that night. And we prayed with God that God would use that in some way to speak to her heart. And I've been out to eat many times between January and uh, yesterday. And I've not done it since. But yesterday I went back to the same restaurant, different waitress, and we asked her. We asked Christian, Kristen. I said, Kristen, is there something we can, we want to pray for you tonight when we go home? And her tears started welling up in her eyes and she said, my mother has multiple sclerosis and she's struggling. You know, and we prayed for them and I thought, how easy that was. How simple. How non-offensive. How non-threatening. And God can take something as simple as that and maybe speak to her heart. And any of you in here could do that. Well, maybe they see Jesus on the job, at the restaurant, wherever. But not if we're like the young man who, uh, during summer break, decided to go to work for a logging camp to make a little extra money. And his mother was really concerned about working with this type of individual, the rough and tugged, rugged uh, loggers and uh, knowing some of their lifestyle. Because her son was a Christian. So at the end of the uh, summer, he returned home and his mother was so glad to see him. And in the course of the meal that night, she said, well, did the men pick on you for being a Christian? Man, his face lit up. He said, no, Mom, they never even found out. (laughs) And I don't think that's exactly what his mom had in mind there. But Peter said this in 1 Peter 4.16. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear His name. When people put us down, when people hassle us, when people make fun of us, when people persecute us, it means they see Jesus in your life. You know, today there's no place for a secret agent Christian. Mm -mm. No place for undercover believers. Another reason we should celebrate when persecuted is persecution means God can trust us. The Bible teaches that when you're being harassed and persecuted, it means that God can trust you with what's happening in your life. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story about the apostles. They'd been beaten because they refused to go along with what the religious authorities told them. The religious authorities said, you quit preaching about Jesus. You're stirring up trouble for us. They chose to ignore that. They preached about Jesus, and they suffered the physical consequences. We read in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. The apostles were full of joy 
that God considered them worthy to suffer disgrace for Jesus' name. That little phrase, I want you to remember that, considered them worthy. You know, Christians in America, we know so little about real persecution. We've got it very easy. We should never forget that around the world, thousands of followers of Christ are persecuted. And some are even killed for their faith every day. There's a website called persecution.com. And I don't believe it gets a lot of hits with a title like that. But if you were to ever really get down and discouraged about what's going on in your own personal life, I would encourage you to go to persecution.com. If you go there, you're going to read some heartbreaking stories of Christians from many different countries. Men, women, boys and girls. And I believe they're loved just as much as God loves us sitting in this room today. And they've been persecuted. Physical abuse, loss of a job, imprisonment, and sometimes even death. In April 2002, the United Nations Commission of Human Rights released this statement. It said, we estimate there are more than 200 million Christians in the world today who do not have full human rights simply because they are Christians. 200 million without the rights that you and I hold so dear to us just because they're Christians. You see, whenever we're being persecuted or harassed, made fun of, ridiculed, mocked because we're Christians, whether we live here in Madison County or in some foreign country, it means God thinks He can trust us with what's going on in our life. He can trust you to maintain your Christian witness in the face of persecution. And finally, persecution helps me focus on my ultimate reward. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says these troubles won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. Paul was always challenging Christians to keep the eternal perspective in focus. And I think that we should challenge each other with that too. Paul said all that we can see with our physical eyes is just temporary. And it's not going to last forever. He reminded us that our life on this earth is so short in comparison with eternity. 60, 70, 80 years is a drop, not in the bucket, but a drop in the ocean compared to forever. Christ followers who live for Jesus in spite of whatever comes their way with harassment or persecution, they should focus on this verse, and I'm sure they do in those foreign third world countries. But we should remember too that God's telling us through this that no matter what you're being put through, God wants you to know that someday you're going to receive your ultimate reward with Him in His holy heaven. You know, I was thinking and putting this message together that it would be kind of interesting 
to, uh, if we had the time, to sit around some tables, whether in the commons area or somewhere else, get in some small groups and ask each other some questions. I personally don't think that we ask each other the right kind of questions at times. Maybe we'd ask each other this question. What is your faith costing you? As I said, most Christians in America, they have a life of ease and smooth sailing. But in much of the world, there's suffering and heartache and persecution because they're living for Christ. I would also like to ask, and I would want you to ask me, at what cost would you stay faithful to Christ? In other words, David, what would cause you to deny your faith? And I shouldn't have said my name because the next thing I was going to say is a girlfriend or boyfriend. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> well, what would cause me to deny my faith? What would cause you? Would it be the, the promise of a $10,000 bonus? What about the threat of physical harm? Would you deny Jesus because you know you're going to get beat up? And finally, we should ask each other, how many people know you're a Christian? How many kids at school know you're a follower of Christ? How many people where you work? How many of your neighbors know you're a Christian? Now, I don't mean they know that you get up on Sunday morning and you drive to a, a church building on 4719th Seminary and you attend a Sunday morning worship at Faith Fellowship. I don't mean they know that you stay after and from 12 to 2 and, and go to a youth group in the little house on the prairie. How many people know you're a true believer and a follower of Christ? You know, hopefully we know that going to church at Faith Fellowship or any other church for that matter will never make you a Christian. Someone has said, you know, hanging out at McDonald's will never make you a hamburger. It's true. And hanging out in this place is never going to make you a Christian. See, everywhere we go, where I was last night having a, a meal, there was a young girl that needed Jesus in her life. And everywhere you and I go in this world, we can't get away from people who need to know about Jesus. God's designed it that way. God's intentional about that. And I believe we could be the one, you could be the one, I could be the one that God wants to use to open their hearts to His Son. I also believe if we don't do it, I don't know who else will. What about you today? Is your heart open to Jesus Christ? Have you made Him your Savior and the Lord of your life? Again, I'm not talking about some religion, but I'm talking about a relationship with the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus. Years ago, I came across something called the ABC's of salvation. The ABCs of salvation. Many of you have probably seen it. And I think that these ABCs could be helpful 
when we consider our next step if we've never made a commitment to Jesus? The A stands for admit. We must admit to God that we're sinners in need of Him. The B stands for believe. We must believe that Jesus died and rose again for our sins. We celebrated that two weeks ago. And C stands for confess. After we've admitted that we're sinners, after we be believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that he died and rose again, we then must confess Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. You can't confess him for anyone. I can't confess him for you. I'm going to stand before Jesus someday and give an account only for my life and what I did with these little simple ABCs. So you can Google ABC of salvation. If you, if you Google that, you can go to the website and there are Bible verses that will walk you through those three letters. And I would invite you to do that. Take the most important step you will ever take in this life. Give your life to Christ. Make that commitment to live for Him and to serve Him now and forever. The persecution, the harassment, we should pray for those that are facing it in the most extreme way in other lands, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe there are some of you in here that, that you're getting put down at school or, or you're getting kind of the funny looks or you've been passed by for a promotion because of your faithful witness for Christ. I'm saying, friend, don't give up. God's with you. And God can strengthen you by the power of His Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray here in a moment. And I would like to invite you, if you want to stay for communion, there will be communion at the rear of the auditorium. Also, we've made some little one-page study guides for this whole series on the Beatitudes. And they're available at the Info Center. Then after I pray, those of you that would want any type of prayer, I'm going to stay at the front and, and pray for you if you desire prayer. If you don't want to pray, you want to have communion, you can do that. But you'll be free to leave. God loves us today, you know that? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your incredible love. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Lord, most of us in this place have no idea what it means to be persecuted, no idea what it means to be hated or, or mocked or, or put down because we're living for you. Now, there could be a problem with that, Lord. It could mean that nobody knows we're a Christian. We're kind of that secret agent Christian. Nobody knows. And Lord, I sense that that's not pleasing to you. Lord, help me. Help me to live for you. Help me to love other people. And help me to take the opportunity you give me to 
let them know that I'm a Christian by my actions, by my deeds, and Lord, on occasion, even by my words. There are hundreds of people that we know in our circle of life that don't know Jesus. And Lord, you would have us to just stand for you, not an obnoxious way, not a holier-than-thou way, not a self-righteous way, but just say, Jesus, I'll live for you each and every day, no matter what it costs me, because I'm reminded, Jesus, what it costs you that I might be a Christian. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, I know in my heart that I'm going to have many opportunities this week, and I believe everyone else will too, to let their light shine for Christ. Lord, help us to be faithful. And when we stumble and fail and miss it, remind us, Lord, that you forgive, and there'll be another opportunity down the road. Now watch over us as we leave this place. Lord, help us to live victoriously for Jesus today. Bring us back next week to enjoy the beginning of this new series on how to be parents and how to raise kids. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.